Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here, episode 222. And that's a bit um, perfect timing, isn't it, Mark? 222 for the start of 2022, because this is going out on New Year's Eve, Friday, December 31st, 2021. And I'm sure, Mark, a lot of people will be listening to this when they're bored on New Year's Day. They've had a big night the night before and they they get up, they potter around on New Year's and with a, maybe a bit of a headache for a few people. And what more do they want to do but put on the Vet Curious podcast? So, Happy New Year to all our listeners, Mark. It's a wonderful time to think about renewal. I just, I've got this thought that um, 2022 is going to be like a healing year, a gentle year, a, a rebuilding year. So, it's good that we have everyone on this. Like, this comes out on New Year's Eve. They'll have a big party tonight and uh, as they as you said as they listen to us tomorrow it's going to be the start of a new one yes and what a year 2021 another we all thought we'd be over that um, little thing called COVID but I think it's going to drag on a little bit longer Um, but yes Mark it's um, fresh fresh we've got to think it's fresh and i'm feeling fresh because we have a bit of a break over the christmas new year period so we have that christmas eve to this year we're going back on the fourth which is the tuesday the fourth of february so a good little break the fourth of february did you say the fourth of february fourth of january yeah fourth of february that would be good that would be a, a, a refreshment yes um and ready to get back in there and I'm sure we'll get back into work and then you'll after half an hour I think oh no here we go again (laughs) with the chaos but that's what we do it for so it's good chaos most of the time isn't it so yes so happy new year to everybody uh vetgurus at gmail.com if you want to send us an email and wish us happy new year we'd love that even if it's a little bit belated and thank you very much to all our patrons and our supporters, our subscribers, and, of course, our three main sponsors, which are Chemical Essentials, Oxbow Australia, which is specialised animal nutrition, and the unmistakable, undoubtable, unredoubtable, un, un, um, un, unforgettable, Microchips Australia <laughs> with um, Doug and his team. So thank them very much. Um, what's your plans for the new year, Mark? Um, what What are you planning on doing on New Year's Day? A bit of a recovery day, is it for you? Yeah, just a bit of a casual day for the beginning of the new year. Do a little bit of detailing on the Land Cruiser, get it all ready for another trip in the very near future. Yeah, I, I just... I think it's a bit of a thing to do, isn't it, over that Christmas, New Year break. So it's almost like a a spring clean in Christmas, um, New Year period, isn't it? Everybody gets out in the garden. They they do a bit of a touch-up with things that need fixing and repairing. And um, I tend to also do the classic Aussie thing and have the cricket 
playing in the background on the radio if I'm outside, Mark, or on the TV and listen to a bit of the test series. Um, so in the Australian summer. You are a bit of a – which form of the game do you enjoy the most? Well, test cricket, of course. Yeah, test cricket. I can't go past and I've always enjoyed it. I must admit I do not like – well, I don't say it. that's a bit harsh. I don't watch the, the one-day series, the Big Bash League, as it's mainly the main one here in Australia, isn't it, Mark? Um, yeah, no, I'm a bit of a traditionalist with that. With the, And for people who don't like sport or, or, or at least don't understand the like um, cricket and the test cricket, and I, I know a lot of our overseas listeners might fall into this, this category, is they just can't understand the fact that you might have a game that goes for five days that um, might drag on um, for that five days and and you still end up with a draw you don't end up with a result Um, but I just find it a little bit yeah just just strategic um, and 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 relaxing watching it and exciting at times too believe it or not you have those periods where you and I always remember um when I was young, my, my dad used to take us to the MCG for the Boxing Day test, Mark. I'm a bit of a classic here. So the Melbourne Cricket Ground here, and it would have the B80, 90,000 people there for Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. And we'd see um, the Australian fast bowlers, Mark, Lily and Thompson, Lily and Tomo, um, storming in. Um, and and um, if it was a pretty boring day there as a kid, and um, we'd just sit out there and... Um, there was no no real internet um, access in those days, Mark. So we'd just be sit there, and I forget what we used to do. Maybe we take a little a com a comic book or something, I think, or a, or a little book there um, if if we're a bit bored. But um, I, I must admit, I can't particularly remember feeling particularly would, bored when I was watching would, it. Yeah. You would never be bored at the cricket, and and your um. The, the joy of your memory sparks me because um, you'll know I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago about um, going to – I was in Brisbane at the time and I was going to go yes. to the Brisbane test and and the bloody bloody teams finished it in, what, what just a bit over three days, three and a half days. Yeah, they finished so. a bit early, yes. So it's a, <laughs> I missed it's out. a bit of a hard – Hard sport to understand for, for people who are not used to it or, or used to something that's um, a lot more um, for a shorter attention span, I suppose, <laughs> is the way I'd put it. And the, th- the, the thing I also like about it, especially with the, with the um, test series, and that's why I don't like the, the, the day one day matches, Mark, is that they don't have that all that um, you know music playing all the time and all that sort of stuff. And I know we've spoken about it before. Gee, I'm off on a rant here. <laughs> like um, basketball, and 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 you know we're both keen basketball aficionados in 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 different ways. And um, I just do not like that whole the whole aspect that, that the basketball um, games have become such a such a glitzy sort of trashy events with all that music in between each time somebody you know sinks a basket mark i do not like it i do not like it i prefer the days when you just went to watch basketball and they played basketball and you didn't play all this bloody music Um, excuse the language but a good analogy brendan is the is our discussion about um the the uh the um van gogh experience where for people to enjoy fine art or wonderful cricket it's got to be enhanced with a musical background and and odors and and story and background and and high tech imagery and I don't know I just like 
focusing on? Let me see the painting, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, do you remember, Mark, when we went to Venice um, for Exotics Con? And we, as you, no, my life. as you no doubt remember, we, we shared a little um, Airbnb, didn't we, for just over a week in, in Venice. And, yeah, it was one of the best holidays I've ever had, I must admit, uh, also. Um, and we, we just wandered around Venice for most of the time. We did attend the conference for a couple of days as well. And I, I just I was stunned that day that we just found this little um, – church um in the off streets of venice there mark um and i think for half an hour or so we were the only people in the church and then there was one other couple that came in and then the the pastor came in as well the priest um, came and tried to chat to us in 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 um italian but it had all these amazing works of art by all these very famous um italian painters there was no security. There was nothing. We could have. We could literally go up to these amazing tapestries, and they were amazing, weren't they, Mark? Not not just tap. Sorry, tap paintings. And that, that was. I just could not believe that. You know, if it was anywhere else in in the world, it would be. You know, surrounded by ropes and have two security guards there, and it would be covered by plexiglass over it um, with anti theft devices on. And and yet, there was nobody in this church, and that, that they would have been priceless those paintings. And I, I, we stayed there for a couple of hours or so, didn't we? It was glorious. It was genuinely epic. So there we go. That's I don't know how we got onto Venice and. Um, paintings but there we go so happy new year to everybody and um thank you for listening and we're going to jump into a few news stories and that's going to be it for our new year's episode mark and i think i've got the first one and we've touched on this one before i think we may have you might um correct me here mark but it it was um the article popped up not that long ago and it's about ivermectin not for curing covid but for curing or for helping the endangered australian sea lion because hookworm infections are very prevalent in sea lions and according to the studies, up to 40%, it's amazing, isn't it, Mark? I think you've mentioned this at one stage. Um, 40% of pup deaths are due to hookworm infections in sea lions. So a group of University of Sydney researchers have found that sloshing a bit of ivermectin o- over the mark um, prophylactically and um, and it's a simple, easy and, and cheap as well, isn't it, um, method of trying to help um, save this species there, Mark. Um, so it's a good news story, Mark, um, for the 1st of January. And um, apparently, according to the article, virtually all Australian sea lion pups will become infected with hookworm. Um, and if you remember the life stage or life cycle through their mother's milk. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty high um Death rate, isn't it? A morbidity rate there. So they published in the International Journal for Parasitology, and uh, it's a good news story, and I like it. Do you like it? You really do like it. I can tell. Um, I like it, and it was also effective in um, killing lice. Um, probably on the researchers as well as the sea lions because, you know, how some of these researchers, Mark, they, they work too hard and they don't sleep very much and they don't look after their personal hygiene very well. Um, not Perhaps I should be speaking for myself with that one. Um, but that's good. So um, 
Well, I've do you got think a question. Any downsides? Yeah. Well, I do. I, do, I worry about um, uh, treating animals in the wild. There's a number of aspects of this that worry me. The first one is that um, resistance. I know that um, Ivermectin does diddly squat now for hookworm in dogs, and it was initially very effective. And so, are we just putting something off? You know, and it'll be these animals will be endangered because of other reasons, and then the effect of hookworm on a compromised population is that much worse. Um, and I'd worry about that ivermectin sloshing ivermectin around in the wild. Um, there are whole ecosystems of amphipods and crustaceans in the uh, rookeries where these young animals are, and I just I don't I. I don't know whether that's a good thing. Um, of course, killing the lice and the parasites, but what are the what the, the, the law of unintended consequences, Brendan? I just shriek at the top of my voice. What about the law of unintended consequences? Exactly what I was pointing you towards, Mark. So, yeah, for, even though it's a very good news article, it's exactly what I was thinking. But I suppose that they have the little picture there of, of dribbling a bit of that um, ivermectin on the back of a sea lion so um, perhaps they they're a little bit careful in in not releasing the sea lions back again um, for a little bit or they're waiting for it to absorb a little bit remember the days when ivermectin was first developed and, and released and people used to slosh it paint it on the bottom of their boats didn't they um to, to stop barnacles um, happening. Do you remember that, Mark? There was a formulation for it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about sloshing it around there, yeah, and it would certainly stop barnacles forming on the bottom of your boat and save you having to dry dock very often. But, yeah, I, I tell you what, it was, um, it was good that they stopped that um, because it would have been contributing to the problem that you were concerned about, Mark, exactly there. So it's a... It's a bit of a two-edged sword, isn't it, Mark? Well, so we always um, I always feel ambivalent about these, and every time that we start to feel good about something, there seems to be just... You've, you've made my good news story to, <laughs> into a disaster there, well, Mark. What have you got for your first... Well, your job is to turn this one from a disaster. <laughs> um, my story is about the, uh, uh, the, the insects from Colombia. There was a... a uh, a whole bunch of tarantulas and uh, various other rainforest insects, uh, cockroaches, um, a scorpion um, that were uh, all boxed up into you know, uh, various plastic lunchbox-sized things stuck in a suitcase um, and tried. An attempt was made to smuggle them out of Central America and get them into Germany. Um, fortunately, um, well, I suppose it's fortunate, um, their, uh, the the uh, um, the shipment, the smuggled shipment, was uh, discovered, and um, and the attempt to smuggle them out to Europe was foiled. The de- the two German citizens were detained, and they will be prosecuted in Bogota, uh, in Colombia. Probably not one of the places in the world I would want to have an interaction with the law enforcement and judicial system. Um, they did say that they were. Um, they were taking the animals to Germany for academic purposes, uh, but they lacked the appropriate permits to collect and transport them. Um, and, yeah, I, I, look, 
an eye. I don't think there's anything positive here, apart from the fact they caught the mark. Yeah, I, I think the academic thing was they were academically seeing how their um, bank accounts would um, drastically increase if they managed to smuggle them in and sell them. Yeah, as, as pets on the black market. There, and I, I think um, that's probably the the you know the market for these things is uh, particularly in Europe is significant. And yeah, I'd, I'd the study that they would have been involved in is how full can I make my wallet? Yes. Um, and the sad thing is that, you know, because the amount of money they can make on on um, exotic animals or any sm- smuggled animals can is, is pretty astronomical, isn't it? Um, and they're pot- potentially, I think, it'd be a fairly um, low-risk one to try and smuggle, wouldn't they? I mean, that's why um, a lot of people, I think, get away with the the reptiles that are smuggled as well, or the eggs, um, bird eggs as well, Mark, because they're not going to make much movement. Um, they're not going to make much sound. And, uh, you know, they, they, they just see the dollar signs, yeah. Um, so, yes, good on them that they caught them. But, yeah, somehow I don't – I think um, that sort of mix that they had there, <laughs> somehow I don't think it was just for academic purposes, um, taking those into Germany as well because – and and – I'd be interested for our German listeners to make a comment, but traditionally, um, for some, I don't know why, um, Germany has been associated, um, um, allegedly, um, have, have been a place where um, some of these exotic pets end up being dumped initially, Mark, um, before they're sold. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a pity. I've got a – well, you're going to shoot this one down as well, aren't you? My, my second news story is – it's a good news story, Mark. It's a cane toad lure here in Australia to help spread um, and stop the cane toad spread in Australia. And it's developed by your friend, Mark, Professor Rick Shine from the University of Sydney. They've granted a license, an exclusive license to market a bait for them. And it is pheromones from adult cane toads, which then attract the tadpoles, Mark, which then traps them before they can grow and reproduce. And um, it's thinking a little bit laterally, isn't it? Um, not trying to just grab those adult cane toads, but trying to stop them at, um, at um, lower down in the in the reproductive um, um, phase of them. So I think it's a great idea with it. Um, and they've and the other thing that I like is that they've granted the license to a not for profit organisation which is dedicated to driving environmental cultural change through grassroots community education, according to the article. So so that's great that they've done that um, to try and control or help stop the spread of these cane toads. I suppose the negative is that, you know, has the, the gates been shut way too late, hasn't it, to probably get rid of this species. But, um, yeah, um, any comments on this one, Mark? I have this strange – it's a good story, and this isn't one I'm, I'm really struggling to find anything to have a whinge about with this one. Um, I have had a little bit to do with this process, um, and uh, the the bait works exceptionally well and um, and really makes a, a, a huge dint in the – the cane toad population really knocking out um, the, the the pheromonic bait seems to be irresistible to the the uh, tadpoles and um, it literally clears out absolute you know absolutely puts all the the uh, tadpoles in a pond in the trap so that's great I I have this is one where I have a little bit of um I, I have a 
personal problem because I, and no matter how much I know my scientific part of my brain says you're never going to get rid of these invasive um, invasive species, I do think that there will come a time when we have um, tools um, that don't have unintended consequences um, that we can apply to markedly reduce the effect of some of these invasive species on the environment. And I think this is going to be one of the bits of the armament, as it were. Um, I, I think it's a good news story, Brendan. So my question is, and they didn't have a picture of it in here, Mark, what, what does a – oh, maybe they do. What does the little tra- – the trap look like, Mark? Is it is – it, and how does it keep them in there once they've sort of been attracted – by the pheromone into the trap, do you know? I, I think that the I think it's just basically like one of those uh, you know the narrow bottleneck things. Uh, they're attracted okay. in through a narrow opening, and uh, they can't find the opening to get back out. Ah, excellent. So it is a yeah. I thought it was a good little article there, and I just love the fact that they've they've the the university's commercialization company has granted the license to a not not for profit organization i think that's to... an excellent thing too so what do you have mark for the last news story this week the last news story is that well it's um the the condors in uh, um uh california um it's this is i'm i'm very very I'm once again confused about this, but the essence of the story is that there has been um, a, uh, a parthenogenetic event, a virgin birth um, amongst the, the condors. Um, so from, from what I can understand, the scientists have been trying to breed the Californian condors. Um, uh, the population crashed to just 22 birds in 1982. Um, there was a captive breeding and release program that has slowly built up the total population to over 500 birds. But obviously, with starting with just 22 birds and now being around 500, they know um, each and every bird. They have genetic information on all of them. Um, Anyway, a retrospective review of that genetic information revealed that two of the male birds um, who had stud book numbers SB260 and SB517 um, showed no genetic contribution from the birds that should have been their fathers. Um, So... uh, Technically, this is highly suggestive of the fact that the birds came into the world by facultative parthenogenesis. Um, so this would be, I th- I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, as far as I know, um, this would be the most evolved, um, the, the parthenogenesis is a reasonably common thing in uh, in sharks and rays, and particularly in reptiles, and especially in lizards, um, self fertilization has been recorded in some captive bird species, but this would be the most phylogenetically advanced species um, that it's occurred in, and um, and it's the first time it's been recorded in condors. So, geez, it, this is weird, Brendan. This is really weird. Um. Do you think it's related to such an inbred population? <laughs> Do you think there's anything going? I always worry about this because we. You mentioned that that they thought they were down to twenty 
82 birds in 1982 and they were releasing up to 500 or so, or built the population up to 500 by 2019. Um, do you worry about the the fact that we only had 22 birds to breed from there, Mark, uh, with them? Is this a species that should have been just crossed off and said, oh, let's not bother? We've only got 22 of them left. You know, they're going to go extinct no matter what we do. Where do you draw the line? These are excellent questions. And and once again, I have, I have, I have a, uh, uh, a personality that's split between my emotional response and my, my absolutely scientific reductive response. Um, I think a huge amount. I would not want to think about the money that's been spent over the last three or four decades getting this species to, you know, 500 to 1,000 birds. Um, and and yet we're still burning the planet. Um, so scientifically, on a pure economic rationalisation thing, it's hard to justify. Um, but I think, I feel like we've got to keep trying. We've got to keep trying these things. But I think you're right. I think... Uh, very, very small bottleneck population like this, there are going to be uh, signals in the reproductive process that tell the birds that, you know what, we're not, it's not going to, this is not a good thing to keep producing sexually. And so we're going to increase the numbers. I don't know the exact process and I don't know what's ticked yeah. off, but I've got no <clears throat> doubt that the small population size has been a factor. And then the other paragraph that I found interesting in this report was mentioning that it's possible that these self-fertilized birds carry gene mutations that ultimately cause the early deaths. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and say so it's a bit too early to say how meaning, meaningful parthenogenesis is in the evolution of this species or its conservation. So there's a negative Nelly, Mark, in, in, in that report. Jacqueline Robinson, um, the evolutionary geneticist, who said um, we have so few examples of this rare phenomenon, we don't know. We don't know what it means, Mark, so we'll just have to wait and see uh, how long they last. But um, that could be a while before we know, Mark, if we're waiting <laughs> for those birds to die um, because it, 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 they may not die early. Yes, so there we go, Mark. Um, we've, we've thrown a few interesting articles out there for the first episode. Well, the last episode of 2021 or the first episode of 2022, if, if you... Late to the party um, because you had a big party last night or a few days ago. So, any final comments, Mark, before we get out of here with this short little episode for New Year's 2022? Just thank everyone for hanging with us and look forward to seeing them next week. We'll talk to you all then. listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time